Uh, please do turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. Uh, we're going to be thinking about those verses that William was thinking about with the, the children, um, but we're also going to be thinking about the next part, uh, what happens afterwards. Um, and so we're going to read from verse 31 this morning of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, so he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? And she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. As a wife, Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When they saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. She named him Gad. Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy am I? The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out to into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He could sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So, so he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving me my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. 
so she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and, her na and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Amen, and we thank God for his word. And let's pray as we think about this text together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your words, we ask that you would speak, Lord, that we would know you better and that we would worship you more fully and that we would leave here with our hearts warmed by the gospel story. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The content of these two chapters, uh, they have the making of a popular Netflix series or a movie. Everybody wants love or wants to be loved, but it's not really a wholesome story. It's quite a dysfunctional and messy drama. And when we find passages like this, we might enjoy the drama. They might even make us feel better about ourselves because our lives maybe don't feel as messy as this family. And yet I think, traces of the mess in Jacob's family are found in God's people today. Uh, this week I was reading uh, a little bit of church history. I had a, such a fun week. And um, I came across a story uh, that I had heard before and I came across it again this week. Uh, I'll not name the, the congregation, but there's a church and it was set up and it's building paid for with the estate of one lady. But with her money came a few stipulations. And my favorite one was this. She said, there are not to be any of the Wiley family or their relatives or connections to interfere or meddle in this church. And the Wiley family were told to keep their distance, to stay out of their business. So clearly there was some sort of messy relationship between those two families. And yet over a hundred years later, the same church still stands today. And I think it's an illustration of the fact that the church is sometimes messy, but despite human weakness, God is very gracious. And that's what we're gonna see in this passage. God's grace triumphing over human weakness. But first let's consider the weakness of God's people. Last week, Jacob encountered God in, in that dream. And if you like, he had a spiritual high point. But this week, he passionately pursues love, and from there, everything unravels into one big mess. But I'm gonna suggest that it all begins with Jacob and his weakness. He loses sight of God, and in this moment, I don't think God is enough for him. Let's think about Jacob. In chapter 29, he's on the lookout for a wife, and he ends up at this well, he comes across Rachel, and he ends up back at her dad's house, his uncle Laban, and you know the story, about a month later, Laban says, you can't work for me for nothing, what do you want from me? And at this point we're told that Laban has two daughters, the older one is called Leah, the younger one Rachel. Leah, we're told, has weak eyes, but Rachel is lovely in form and beautiful. Now Jacob is in love with Rachel, so he says, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter. He's willing to go above and beyond for his bride-to-be. He loves her so much that he serves for seven years and they seem like only a few days. It seems like a beautiful story. 
What is it? You see, in this moment, I think God isn't enough for Jacob. And let me explain what I mean. Previously, in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham wanted a a bride for his son Isaac, Jacob's dad, and he didn't want Isaac to marry a local woman. So he sent his servant to a far away land to find a, a bride for his son. And the servant had left asking God to show him the way, to show him to the woman that he would bring back as Isaac's bride. And where did they meet? They met at a well. And so when we come to this story of Jacob finding a wife in his mother's far off homeland and at a well, I think it reminds us of Genesis 24. The details of this story are meant to make us think of that story. But there's one key difference in the two stories. In that story, the servant goes praying. And in this story, God is not mentioned once. God is not in Jacob's sight. God is not enough in this moment. Instead, Jacob is driven by attraction and he desperately serves Laban to get Rachel. Jacob only has eyes for Rachel's beauty and it drives him to desperate measures. He becomes enslaved to this desire for her. And how does it turn out for him? We know the story, Jacob the deceiver, the one who deceived his brother out of his right, he gets what he deserved, he becomes deceived. And the next morning when Jacob realizes what happens, when Laban tricks him and he ends up with Leah instead of Rachel, the next morning, Laban, or Jacob comes to Laban and he says, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban says, look at chapter 29, verse 26. It is not our custom here to get the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. In other words, round here, we don't cheat and deceive the older out of what they deserve. Suddenly Jacob, the deceiver, is confronted with his sin. It seems like the Lord is disciplining Jacob. And there will be times in our lives when God confronts us with our sin through the preaching of his word or through other people, or the Lord might shake our world and strip everything away so that we wake up and realize our own weakness. And the truth is we need the Lord to discipline us because we're a whole lot more like Jacob than we think. In our desperate effort to be made full, we run after what we see in front of us. We're driven by what we see and we lose sight of God. We don't pray, we don't seek his wisdom and counsel. Often for us too, God is not enough. But when we act that way, do you see what happens? In Jacob's case, Leah is made into an unloved and hurting wife. On a more lighthearted note, uh, she's a little bit like the, the, the kid in the playground who's always picked last. Uh, Jacob picks Rachel first, he loves Rachel more, and Leah is a lowly last pick. And we can't help it but feel sorry for her. And yet, this is what a world that has rejected God looks like. People get hurt all the time. Beginning in verse 32, Leah starts to have children with Jacob, but after child number one, she says, surely my husband will love me now. After child number two, she says, 
because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. After child number three, she says, now at last my husband will become attached to me. Do you see how much it hurts? How much she longs to be loved? It's a really sad picture. And the picture gets no better. Let's think about Leah and Rachel together for a moment. Here is one of the most fierce rivalries in history. It all takes place, there's this fierce battle. We see at the, the start of chapter 30 that Rachel becomes jealous. Leah's already had four children and Rachel has none and she's jealous. And so what does she do at the start of chapter 30? She decides to sub in her servant, Rachel's servant. She thinks that through her servant, she's gonna build up a family for herself. So Rachel's servant has two children for her. But once Rachel sees that, or once Leah sees that Rachel's servant is having children for her, she decides that she's gonna sub in her servant too and, and she has two servants for her and it's just a whole mess. And then comes this incident with the mandrakes. Uh, Reuben, uh, Leah's son, comes in from the field with some mandrakes and mandrakes were supposed to help you get pregnant. And, and so Rachel says, give me some of your son's mandrakes. She doesn't have any children of her own yet. And she says, give me some of them. And to cut a long story short, they, they cut a deal. Uh, Leah, Leah says, you, you can have the mandrakes in exchange for a night with Jacob. And it's just so dysfunctional. And then Leah has more children. This trick of taking the mandrakes, it doesn't really work out. Leah has more children. But before the whole thing finishes up, at the end of, the, uh, at the end of chapter, or in verses 22 to 24, then Rachel finally gets a child of her own, but it's quite a hard story to follow. And it's one big mess. It's mad. But before we say anything else, let's step back for a moment. What do you think of this family? Nobody in this family is perfect. And while Leah might have more children in the end, there's no winners in this contest. If you think about it, both women feel like losers. Both are unsatisfied and want what the other has. Leah has children, but she wants Jacob's love. Rachel has Jacob's love, but she wants children and both are miserably unsatisfied. Naturally, we feel sorry for Leah. What has she done to deserve all of this? And yet part of me feels sorry for Rachel too. She's the love and affection of Jacob, but it's unsatisfying. She wants more. I don't know about you, but I think we can relate to both these women. At times, people hurt us and it feels so unfair. At other times, we want the life that someone else has. We too are weak and unimpressive people. We too have hearts that are messy and broken. And as a result, sometimes life can become a little bit messy and dysfunctional and it can really hurt. Relationships break down and we're left feeling unloved and, and hated or we discover that a relationship doesn't give us all it promises, that 
Sometimes it doesn't satisfy nor anything else that we try to fill our lives with. And as a result, we're left hurts and empty. We don't really need convinced of this. But what is the root cause of all of the mess and all the hurts? What caused all the chaos in this family? I think it all begins when Jacob forgets about God, when he thinks God isn't enough. It all begins in his weakness, when he's a prayerless man who loses sight of God. And in that moment, I think God isn't enough. And that's the story of humanity. We're part of this story too. Ever since Adam and Eve believed that God wasn't enough, they rejected him. And ever since then, relational chaos has entered this world. This is what happens when God isn't enough. We, we try to pull God off his throne and we pull down everything else around us. From there, everything unravels. At the beginning of the book of Genesis, there's harmony between humanity and God and amongst humanity. But when humanity's relationship with God becomes disordered and messed up, from there, everything else begins to unravel. And we're not immune to this. Instead, this story shows us the weakness of God's people. But the big question is, is there any hope for weak people like us, for weak people like this family? Uh, this story shows us there is. And so let's more briefly consider the greatness of God's grace. Several years ago, Ben Affleck, the Hollywood actor, he, he tried to hide from the world his embarrassing and messy family history. Ben Affleck has a slave-owning ancestor. And so when it came to making a documentary about his family heritage, he wanted to make sure that they wouldn't go there. He said, I didn't want any television show about my family to include a guy who owned slaves. He said, I was embarrassed. The very thought of it left a bad taste in my mouth. His reaction was a human one. He was embarrassed of his messy family history. But unlike that story with Ben Affleck, when we come to the Bible, it doesn't shy away from talking about the weakness of God's people throughout history. God is not ashamed of his messy family. Instead, he has shown us in his word the weakness of his people, but only so that we might see the greatness of his grace. In this passage, we see the greatness of God's grace to lowly hurting individuals. Do you see how God responds to these two women? Of course, he, he blesses Leah with children and in the end, he remembers Rachel and he gives her a child, but Look closer at chapter 30, verse 17. God listened to Leah. And then verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her. As I've said, one of the consequences of living in this world where God has been rejected is we get hurt and knocked about. We feel empty and desire to be full. But notice God's grace to weak, broken and hurting people. When we cry to him, he hears our cry. When we feel unloved and hurt, he listens. When we feel ashamed and, and empty and unsatisfied by life, he remembers his people. He remains committed to us. And I think that's what we've got to remember from this passage. God's people are really weak, 
but God is committed to weak people like us. His grace is much greater. But to help us think about this, I want you to picture with me for a moment uh, a wedding. Uh, the wedding ceremony has taken place. Uh, the bride and the groom are uh, leaving church and there's lots of well-wishers at the door. Uh, so they come out to the door and you know the sort of thing that people will say. Uh, they'll say to the bride, you look amazing. Uh, your dress looks uh, stunning. Uh, you look great. They might say to the two couple, to the couple, they might say, we wish you every happiness for the rest of your life. But imagine someone at the door turns around and says, we really hope your marriage is a little bit like Rachel or Leah's marriage to Jacob. That would be a really weird thing to say. And if people knew their Bibles, they might be offended. But keep that in mind for a moment and turn with me to the book of Ruth. In your Bibles, you'll find Ruth before 1 Samuel and after the book of Judges. And if you're using a church Bible, it's on page 270. So in Ruth chapter four, Boaz has just married Ruth. And then we meet, if you like, the well-wishers at the door. In chapter four, verse 11, we read this. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. What? Rachel and Leah never did anything together. They were always jealous of each other and there's so much strife. And yet the Bible looks on this really fondly. Why is that? Because through this story, God was building up the people of Israel. He was building a people for himself. God's grace is greater than all of our weakness. God doesn't choose the most powerful and impressive people. He doesn't, we don't have to clean up our lives before we come to God. There's no entrance exam. Instead he chooses weak and unimpressive, hurting and broken people, people that feel unloved, people that feel empty and want more. He includes people like you and me and his family and he's not ashamed of us. And then he takes weak and unimpressive people and he uses us in his mission. You see, through this family, through Jacob's family, God will save the world. Through this family, he will bring about a line of priests and a line of kings. Lowly Leah, she gave birth to a son called Levi, and from his family will come a line of priests. Lowly Leah gave birth to a son called Judah, and from his family will come a line of kings. But in the end, from this family will come Jesus, a king and a priest who will make way for weak people to come to God. And maybe you're, you're not sure about that, if you want some proof today, go home and read John chapter four. Because in John chapter four, Jesus comes to another woman at another well, and she has a history of messy relationships, lots of hurt, lots of shame, 
And you can read about it in chapter four, and yet Jesus invites her to come and believe and worship him. And so this morning, what we've gotta say is that through this family and ultimately through Jesus, we discover that the weakness of God's people is outmatched by God's grace. The unmerited grace of God outdoes every human weakness, every hurt and every sin found in God's people. Amen, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded in your words that you chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, that you chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We acknowledge as we come to you that we are weak and unimpressive people, and yet we're ever grateful for the greatness of your grace to people like us that we can come before your throne confidently, but also that you choose to use people like us in your kingdom work. And so we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.